Welcome, adventurers. What is the cost of the whispers brought to a window in the dark of night? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Rianak died, not face down in an alley with a knife in her back, but beaten to death in a bar fight. She had angered a well-known malcontent and drunk named Gretch, and the little woman stood no chance. At least that is what the citizenry of Roshan saw and believed. After becoming part of the city, and in Rianok's case, the local crime scene, they needed a way to make a clean break. Rianok's death and Ketri fleeing the city as a murderer provided an excuse anyone would believe. There had been many witnesses to the event, and the bouncer had checked Rianok's pulse himself, declaring her dead. In chaotic situations such as that, in a tavern that catered to those who preferred to remain out of the eyes of the law, no one really questioned the two-city guard that showed up just a bit earlier than should have been reasonable. Guards that everyone assumed someone else had sent for. These guards, one human and one dwarf, were quick with their questions, taking a description of both the incident and the tall woman who had committed the crime. Instructions were left with the owner of the establishment to visit the local constable's office should any more information on the event come to light. The guards, however, thought it unlikely. In fact, hoped no such information should come forward. At least not for some time. When finished, they took the body of the young halfling and left. The guards were not guards, of course, but instead Sarkeesian and Colfin made to look as such via an illusion cast by Colborn, just as Rianach was not dead, but had accurately and convincingly feigned her own death with magic as well. After departing the tavern, they started in the direction of the local constable's office. But when they were within a street, they slid into an alley where Colborn lurked. Making certain they were not watched, the disguises were dropped, and they waited. Though Mela was extremely disappointed not to get to see Rianok, she was glad she was not there when this story was retold. Colborn said waiting for Rianok to come too was quite disturbing. Her body unbreathing, skin cold and lifeless. But at last, after a bell's time, the young woman had coughed once, drawing in a ragged breath, her pale skin flushing back to life. The words exchanged were brief. Are you okay? Yes. Do you have everything you need? Yes. Safe travels. We will see you in Borgen. Rianok's form shifted into that of a middle-aged gnome with a blonde beard, and she made her way back out of the alley and departed the city immediately. There was no such meeting with Ketri. They had to take it on faith that their friend had made it cleanly away. But given the fact that no official report had, or ever would be, 
given to the local authorities, and no body could be produced to prove any such crime. They had felt strongly she would face no difficulties. All of this intrigue and deception had come from the news that Rianoc had brought them two weeks prior. Colborn and Mela had woken Sarkeesian and Colfin. They had made tea, and Colborn had relayed the information their cunning friend had uncovered, a story Rianoc had told in more detail when they had been reunited. It had taken some time, but Rianoc managed to catch the eye of a local thieves' guild. She went on to convince them that she meant not to encroach on their territory, but to join her effort to theirs. She was given a task, a simple robbery of sorts, to prove her sincerity, and when she had accomplished it efficiently and with ease, she had been taken to meet the leader of the guild, who, all blessings to Cinder, had taken an instant liking to her quirky mannerisms. She was given a chance, brought on as an apprentice of sorts, assigned a section of the city to patrol as a cut-purse and pickpocket. Rianoc had not specifically mentioned her magic, but with her illusions and disguises, together with her quiet feet and nimble hands, she took to thievery as moss to a stone. Within the first few weeks, it was clear her fellow guildmates were taking a liking to her, and the guildmaster taking a liking to her results. After that second week, she was given a place to stay, a dormitory-style abode under a run-down temple to some god she had never heard of. She shared the open room with five other tradespersons, one of whom gave out their assignments for the day, or on occasion told them there would be no work. Rianuk presumed that someone was in the guildmaster's inner circle, and that there must have been several other of these guild houses throughout the city so that if one cell was discovered, others might continue to operate. One night, three weeks into living in the house, she had been invited out drinking. All of her flatmates had gone. Even before they had arrived, Cinder's whispers had begun. Told her to make sure the house leader, Sullivan was his name, had more than his fair share to drink. Rianoc had been generous with her coin, buying a round for the table when they arrived, in thanks for her new opportunities, and then a second round because, well, why not? And a few rounds after that, she had bought several shots of cheap whiskey for Sullivan. Though Rianoc did not drink as much as the rest had, even the few she had made her head quite muddled as the night wore on. Voices seemed to blend into one another. Noises joining together in a jumbled mess that rose and fell in volume. She found herself staring at one thing or another overlong, her face hot and flushed. Eyes currently fixed on a brown-haired woman at the bar, Cinder's whispers had come. Psst. Listen. Listen, or you will miss it. Rianoc's eyes had refocused to take in her immediate surroundings. Seems most agitated these last few days. Is he unhappy with our production? It was a question. Rianoc wasn't even sure who was asking, or who it was asked of. Her slowed vision swept the table. Sullivan was frowning heavily. 
He looked at each of them, eyes falling last on her, squinting. This goes nowhere. None of you have heard this, or I will personally tickle every one of your livers with my dagger. You understand? His speech was slurred. He was speaking to the table, but his eyes never left her. She squinted in return, giving the briefest of nods in acknowledgment. He didn't respond or continue. After what felt like bars, it seemed he wouldn't. Rianak was about to look away when at last he spoke. Gestranos. That was the guildmaster's name. Is right, pissed. Just received some letter from some upstart wanting to be lolling in Borgen, suggesting Gestranos and his guild. He waved his hand round the table in an inclusive gesture, as if they may have forgotten that they were included in the statement. Now work for him. Not like a question, would you like to work for me, mind you? Just, you are now under my employ, and I expect reports and a percentage of your take monthly. There was a delayed pause as the news percolated through alcohol-addled brains. The woman to Rianok's left, Teppa, was the first to react. She had decided this was some sort of bad joke and let out a braying laugh. Ha, 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 he, ha, 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 he. Sullivan's hand slammed down on the table. It was not loud enough to interrupt the din of the busy tavern, but everyone at the table jumped. Between this and the deepening purple color of Sullivan's face, it was clear there was no joke hidden here. Trying to recover, it was Teppa who followed up. He can't be serious. Who thinks they can come in and just tell Gestranos such a thing? Sullivan spit out a name in spite. Lord, Everdine, Sin Vaistra. That answered the who. Rianak was repeating the name over and over again in her head, willing herself not to lose it before she woke tomorrow. But surely it can make no difference. Surely the letter will be returned with a bag of excrement as his cut. Teppa questioned in true dismay. Sullivan had glowered for a time, and then looked around, to inspect if they had the attention of any other in the tavern. Apparently satisfied that it was safe, he leaned forward, beckoning them to do the same. Five additional drunkheads bobbled closer to the table. Darvi, another one of the thieves and drunkest of them all, took this oddest of moments to pass out, as if the act of leaning forward had just turned him off somehow. His curly-haired head hit the table with a dull thud and stayed there. Sullivan paused but a moment, frowned, and then pushed Darvey's head out of the way as if it was a pile of dirty dishes. The anger was gone, and it was replaced with a disbelieving tone. Not a truly disbelieving tone, but instead a fearful denial. A wish for what followed to not be true. Lord Everdine stated in his letter that he had the full backing of I was an associate with an involuntary swallow. Ingenau. 
Luckily, all around the table, faces flushed white, as if the date of each one's death had been revealed to them, and those were much sooner than expected. This universal fear made the chill that ran through Rianok's body, the goosebumps that stood on her arm and neck not seem out of place. She had not heard the name Enganar in some time. They had only discussed it briefly after Forempur. Sarkeesian and Colborn had been more interested in the organization or person associated with the Green Scarab at the time, not wanting to walk their way up the entire ladder to deal with every lower-level hooligan so as to give them a better chance of cutting the head of the snake off before it was aware of their presence. But it was clear now that the emerald scarab was aware of their presence, and that given the fear on the faces sitting round her, Enganar was more than some go-between. Rianok had remembered the name the next morning waiting two more days to make contact, passing along the info to Colborn. She had stood across the alley, gently rattling the window next to his bed with a cantrip, until he woke. When she saw him peer out, she had dropped her hood just long enough to reveal her red hair in the moonlight, and then sank back into the shadows. Colborn had taken it from there starting a magical conversation in which Rianak had revealed the important points of her findings. Young Lord in Borgen, involved with Enganar. Enganar seems to be more than just a mid-level operative. Lord's name is Evredine Sinvarista. Time for a move to Borgen? Would be available to talk again in six days. In the six days they had waited to talk to Rianok again, they had asked a few subtle questions and had came up with a plan. Colborn, now well-known and well-respected under the name Doomran Earth-Turner, began making inquiries about possible sponsorship for his research on Grandemi's spear. As part of this, he asked the local community about Lord Patrons from Borgen that may be a good fit for his research. Several were given, none that he wanted at first. And then the question, who were the up-and-coming lords in Borgen, ones with good prospects to be raised to the Council of Patrons? Lord Everdine, Sinvar Ista's name came up immediately here, on a very short list of two or three. Their direction was set. Doomran began to write letters of introduction to many lord patrons, along with all of the up-and-coming lords on the list. He explained his research and implied that he was closer than anyone in several hundred years to finding information on and sending an expedition out to recover Grandemi's spear. Of the twenty-seven existing lord patrons, he only received mild interest from two. From the shortlist of aspiring lords, he had received much stronger interest from two out of the three. As they had hoped, one was Lord Sinvarista. Word amongst other scholars was that Evredine had seemingly endless monies, and he was funding three times as many research and scholarly projects as any other lord in Borgen. Some found this admirable. Others were suspect of his motives, 
saying he had no actual interest in the studies, but only desired a seat on the Council of Patrons. Either way, it worked out in their favor. Though Colborne maintained correspondence with all of the interested lords at first to make it seem as if he was considering all, he dropped one at a time, until there was only Lord Everdine Sinvarista. It wouldn't even be a difficult choice to explain, given his offer was almost two hundred gold a month more in funding over the next offer. So the plan was made. Rianoch and Ketri needed a way out of the city in which none would question or wonder about their exit. Colfin had come up with the basic idea. Hunters don't hunt that which is already dead, he had said. From that... Details were worked out and then executed. As summer waned, Rianak was killed and left. Ketri fled for an unreported crime. Both made the short trip south to the much larger city of Borgen, where they would begin again. Ketri as a drunk, Rianak as a thief. It took another two weeks for Colborn to wrap up his correspondence with the various lords, finally accepting the patronage of Lord Sinvarista. In the opening weeks of the fall, they boarded a luxurious carriage that was sent for them, and the research team of Doomran Earthturner and Skeldi Husvarn, along with their associates Bim Matt the Tracker and Georgian the Bodyguard, left their dingy loft behind and rattled down the road toward the city of Borgen. The passage to the west had gone less than seventy paces before turning south and ending in a small, unoccupied chamber. The passage to the east was not as benign. It grew narrow, one person wide, shortly after leaving the main chamber, and turned often. A hundred and twenty paces in, they were beset upon. Worm-like creatures with sharp beaks and four tentacles aside that fell from the ceiling and squeezed out of cracks in the rocky walls. Three smaller and one much, much larger. The creatures had been defeated, but not before more wounds had been received. Mela had taken the brunt of the assault, as she had once again been in the lead. When the creatures had been vanquished, Gricks, Colborne had called them, they ensured there were no further options or turns to be made down this passage, finally returning to deal with the question that had occupied their thoughts since arriving in the cave below the grey house. What was behind the door? They sat for a time, resting, so they might heal some wounds and regain some strength. Rianok paced in front of the door, pausing every now and again to lean closer to inspect some aspect or another of its nature. Colborn had taken the time to perform a ritual, allowing him to cast a spell to detect magic, which there was, and then used more of his energy to dispel a ward one which he said would have been very, very bad had someone fiddled with the door unaware. Rest completed, Rianok made a final inspection of the door. 
Feeling confident there were no mechanical traps, she drew out some thieves' tools. These were new to her since her time in Roshan. Nimble hands worked, and the lock was defeated. She didn't open the door right away, looking instead to Sarkeesian. After considering a moment, Sarkeesian arranged them with a series of whispers and gestures. Colborn stood far back, Colfin just ahead of him, bow at the ready. They were in line with the door so that they could see into it at once when opened. Mela knelt to the left of the door with orders to peek in as soon as it was determined safe. Ketri loomed over her once again, ready to dash in at a moment's notice. Mela looked across to Rianok, who stood on the opposite side, back pressed to the wall. The halfling was looking at her in return. She smiled and nodded. Sarkeesian gave one last silent look at them all, waiting for each to nod they were ready. Her hand went up, three fingers held aloft. Two. One. The door was pushed swiftly inward. Engenar. A name from the past. One known to be associated with the Emerald Scarab has come again to the surface. Is this young lord in Borgen a key to their discovery? Stay tuned next week for part seven of The Undying Emerald. 